All right, so we have been in a series called Kingdom Culture, where we have been looking at how Jesus is the king and he brings the kingdom. And when the kingdom of God comes, it comes with the culture of heaven. It's the culture of heaven invading the culture of earth. And so we've been looking at what does it look like to be kind of a community of people who kind of are invaded by the kingdom, by the kingdom of God. And we said that there are three things that happens when the kingdom culture comes. When the king invades our hearts, it exposes our values, so it shows us the things that are important to us. It overcomes evil in our life because when the king comes, evil can't stay. And then it brings freedom. And so that's what our king does, and that's what his culture does. And so we've talked about a number of different things. Tonight, I'm going to talk about having a posture of forgiveness versus a posture of offense. Posture of forgiveness versus a posture of offense. And we're going to read from Matthew 18. We've got two passages here, and uh, we're going to read from 15 to 35. It's a long chunk. And let me just explain what I'm going to read before I read it. Jesus gives a very clear teaching. There, like, doesn't need a lot of explanation, but then he decides to give a parable just to illustrate what, he, what he's trying to say. And this is like the way that, Jesus, like, it's like Jesus is doubling down. Like, I really, really want you to get what I'm saying here. And this week, we were talking in our house just how interesting it is that the Son of God comes with all wisdom and decides to come in into humanity and primarily teaches through stories. Isn't that awesome? Like, isn't that a head-scratcher? You guys aren't, okay, fine. I'm, I'm, I think it's interesting, so. All right, so Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, or many translations say sin against you. If your brother or sister sins or sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even to the church, treat them as if you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I, again, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree about anything uh, they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And then Peter came to Jesus. So this happens right next. And asked, Lord, all right, you just said that. How many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Basically, kind of infinite number. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, so he starts to tell this story, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began, to, he began the settlement, and a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold who brought, brought it to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything, pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found that one of his fellow servants, who had owed him a hundred silver coins, so this is much less than the gold that he, was, that he owed the master, he grabbed this person and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. He said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and the man was thrown into prison until he, couldn't pay, until he could pay the debt. 
And when the, servant, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay it all back he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. This is not the cuddly Jesus. This is not buddy Christ. (laughs) This is the Jesus, the prophet, the one who speaks in provoking language. That sounds very harsh because he's trying to get our attention. It's as if he wants us to know over and over again, and we're going to look at this in a second, that forgiveness is a really big deal in the kingdom of God, like a really, really big deal. Jesus, on more than one occasion, makes this specific point that a condition of our forgiveness is us forgiving other people. Not a condition of God's love. That's unconditional. But a condition of us being able to truly receive the forgiveness of the Father is our forgiveness of others. Before we talk about forgiveness, though, let's talk about something else, which is offense and what it means to be offended and be a part of a culture of offense. So just if you need a dictionary definition, offense is to be resentful or annoyed because of a real or perceived harm or insult. So to be resentful or annoyed because of a real or perceived harm or insult. So this could be, uh, an offense could be something that was actually done to us that was literally harmful, like physically, emotionally, something that was truly done to us, an insult that came our way. Or, like this definition says, it could be something that's perceived, not necessarily something that meant someone meant to do that was hurt, or in any way should have been taken that way, but yet somehow we take that way. And so this can be really serious, or it can be really silly stuff. And we can take offense at all different kinds of things. So for example, uh, Meg, if you could put up, there's a, a special picture here. Um, friends, I don't, I'm going to just point this out. I got permission to share this. This is Crystal Rand's Bible. And at the top of the Bible is cheese from Taco Bell from one John Rand's taco. And Crystal asked John, you ate Taco Bell on my Bible? (laughs) And John replies, ha, 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 (laughs) ha. And then Crystal just says, baby, no. (laughs) And then John gives an explanation. I mean, I ate it on the coffee table, and so anything on the coffee table became a war zone of snot, imitation beef, and shame. Again, I asked permission to share this, so it's okay. This is the kind of thing that is silly that someone could take offense at, right? That someone could turn into this big thing. You ate Taco Bell in my Bible, right? But thankfully, they had a really good, like, premarital counseling session with the pastors, and so they worked through this. No, just kidding. Uh, So, no, but seriously, there are all different kinds of things that can happen to us that can make us be kind of resentful and feeling annoyed. I mean, all different kinds of stuff. And I want to be really clear that that what I'm about to say and what we're going to talk about doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be human beings uh, who are unaffected by the things that happen to us. That's that's not a biblical concept. You know, God made us to be human beings. We have real emotions and feelings. We have real physical harm and things that are done to us or said to us. It's not as if we're supposed to just be robots and nothing actually harms us or hurts us. What people do to us can really and genuinely be hurtful. 
The challenge, though, is that most of us tend to do two things. One, we tend to hold on to hurt or to an offense. We hold on to an offense. And then we hold it over someone uh, for what they've done or, because, or something that they've said. And if that goes to the extreme, we end up where I talked about a few weeks ago in that cancel culture. Like there is no remedy for fixing this problem because I'm so offended, I'm so hurt by what someone has done. So we, we have a tendency to hold on to the hurt or hold on to the offense. Or the second thing is, and maybe this, this is kind of comes from the first, is that we walk around in a posture of defense. That we remain suspicious of people because of the hurt that we have. We assume the worst about people's intentions about what they say. So something that's not meant to be hurtful all of a sudden gets twisted and become hurtful. And then all of a sudden we become sensitive to the most like silly of slights. So we get mad about Taco Bell because we think it's being disrespectful to us, right? Like, I mean, there, there are all these different things that happen to us. We walk around with this posture of defense. We also have a tendency uh, to be, uh, have a sense of being offended by things that don't actually pertain to us in any way. Anyone else? Like, you, you're getting annoyed with something that happened to someone else somewhere. And like, I'm walking around feeling uh, crunchy and offended inside. Because that person happened to that person. It had nothing to do with me. I just know that it, that it happened. And so now I'm annoyed about it. Like, I mean, I'm going to guess that that happens often. Because this is the world that we live in, it's the air that we breathe in is just walking around in this culture of offense. Like, we get annoyed or offended by people we don't even know. Like, I can't believe that person, right? And we get, we get offended by, I mean, just, I mean, you name it, people cutting us off in line, the people stepping in front of us, people standing too close to us in line. You know what I'm saying? People not disciplining their kids the way I think that they should discipline their kids. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we just get, we just, we're all just like, yeah. We get offended by people who are offended, I mean, you know this is true, guys. I can't believe those people get so offended by this. I'm offended by it. Like, do you see the circular reasoning of being offended by people who are easily offended? Like, again, this is the air we breathe. We don't know it. It's like a fish in a fishbowl that doesn't, like, and then, like, they don't know that they're in it until they get out of it. It's really refreshing to be around people who aren't easily offended. And have you ever noticed how easy it is to connect with other people about the things that we're offended by? Like, it's just so easy to kind of rally around things that bother us and our speech and our conduct. So there's a, there's a group of guys that over the last year and a half I've really journeyed with and, and some things, and it's been, it's been an incredible thing, really enriching for our life, and, and we have some really great conversations. But it is so easy for it to turn on a dime the moment, did you see so-and-so or did this thing? And all of a sudden, something that was really edifying and really building each other up all of a sudden becomes just kind of crunchy and gross. We love to find people who are offended by the same things that we are, don't we? This is why we have the news networks that we do that feed whatever it is that you think and radio stations that feed whatever it is that you think, right? This is why we have social media. Do you know right now, this is 100% true, you are being manipulated if you are on social media by people who you think, oh, the whole world thinks different than me. Actually, right now, this, this happens all the time, there are plants in your social feed, media feed to make you mad at people. This, this literally happens because then you'll click more, you'll do more. There's algorithms to make you more angry, to make you more offended. And it's just so easy to bond with other people when we're, I, 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 we all do it. Like, 
I can't believe that this happened. And then we, we feel like we're not alone in our offense. I'd say we have a posture of offense. We're ready to be offended at any moment. We're easily offended. It just happens like that. And then we hold on to offense. And the problem with a posture of offense is that it results in the practices of offense. The posture of offense, just us walking around being so easily to be offended, actually then results in us being affected by this. It involves in practices of offense. So right now we have, um, we, we have a mice, a mouse problem in our house. Uh, this happens every year around this time. The little critters come in and we're trying to get rid of them. We have a couple different kinds of mouse traps in our house. One type of mouse trap that we have is like the glue kind. I know, it's sad. I won't, I won't tell you who the person is that bought these in our house. Yeah, so. It's the glue kind. And it makes me think about how being an offense is like being stuck like that. You get mired in it and you don't even know it. You can't get yourself out of it. Like you, you come along thinking, I'm okay. And then before you know it, you are mired in something that you can't get out of, right? And that's detrimental to us. That's harmful to us. That's not just like a casual kind of thing. It actually eats our soul away. It causes us to see the worst in other people and then sometimes to see the best in ourselves. And then all of a sudden we're walking around thinking that we're better than everybody. And that's just not God's heart and his intention for us. So he doesn't want that thing to like fester in us. The other kind of mousetrap that we have are the quick kind that do the business quickly, right? And I think sometimes we end up being like that mousetrap where anyone comes along and just like that, we snap at people. It doesn't matter what they did or who they are. They're just on the receiving end of whatever your offense is because I'm walking around with an offended heart. And so I just lash out really quickly, just like that. And now I become the offending person because I've been walking an offense. Now I'm offending other people. That's not God's heart for us. The opposite side of that, instead of a posture of offense and then a practice of offense, is the posture of forgiveness and then the practice of forgiveness. Forgiveness is really at the centerpiece of all that Jesus is doing in his mission. When the angel comes to Joseph and he tells them about what is about to happen, he tells Jesus that, that Jesus will be born and that he will save people from their sins. It's about forgiveness. When there's the man who's lowered down through the roof by his friends to be healed, Jesus, like the healing is not a big deal. Jesus makes it about forgiveness. He tells them his sins are forgiven. And that's the thing that, gets, that offends the Pharisees. It's about forgiveness. Jesus teaches his disciples that when they, should, when they pray, that they should pray that their debts would be forgiven even as they forgive their debtors. At the Last Supper, when Jesus tells what he's doing and what the significance of the sacrifice is going to make, he said, this is the blood of my covenant. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus tells multiple parables about the Father's heart, which is quick to forgive, and then warns, human, warns his disciples and his others about how we should be the same instead of walking in that spirit of offense. And when Jesus is telling his disciples that famous passage about how they can, if they, if they pray in faith and believe, they can cast a mountain into the sea, he tells that he tacks on to the end of that 
but you should forgive people as your Father in heaven forgives you. This is in Mark chapter 11. It's like literally everywhere you read, Jesus is talking about forgiveness. Jesus wants his people who are going to be a part of the citizens of his kingdom. He wants us, you and I, who are citizens of his kingdom, to be people who are quick to forgive. Brothers and sisters in his family don't treat each other like the world treats each other. And we don't treat the world the way the world treats each other. So we're, we're supposed to be a family and we're supposed to be different. We operate by a different set of the rules. So while the world is being offended by everything, that should not be our posture. What, what, what God's heart for us is that we all recognize our need for forgiveness. That's the whole point of the parable that Jesus told about this person who was forgiven many debts and then who refuses to forgive this other person. There are actually multiple stories like this in the life of Jesus where he's kind of emphasizing this point. Do you, do you know how much you have been forgiven if you realize that you would be really quick to forgive other people? And what he wants us to not necessarily walk around in this sense of like loathing and how terrible we are, but really to be walking around in how matchless his grace is, how incredible his mercy is. He doesn't want us walling around, oh, I'm so terrible, I'm such a horrible person. He's like, no, my God has forgiven me of something so incredibly great. How could I ever not forgive someone else? And so because we all need his mercy and because we all know how much we've been forgiven, we're meant to walk around with a posture of forgiveness. And so that means two things. One, we're ready to seek forgiveness when we have wronged someone. We're ready to seek forgiveness when we have wronged someone. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus, this is in, in when he's talking about, look, if you are worshiping, and the, the picture here is someone who's at the temple or in the synagogue and they're worshiping God, he says, look, if you go to worship and you remember that you've done something wrong to your brother, stop what you're doing and go and make it right. That's, that's incredible. Like, he's not interested in us singing our songs and not interested in us clapping our hands if we're not willing to reconcile with our brothers and sisters. So we should be ready to seek forgiveness when we've wronged someone. Secondly, we should be ready to repair damaged relationships when someone has wronged us. That's Matthew, what Matthew 18 is all about. When someone has wronged us or when we see someone has something wrong, we should be ready to repair that damaged relationships. Here's what I want you to see. In both cases, guess who the responsibility lies on? Us. Is that the way the world works? I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna wait until that person comes to talk to me, right? I'm gonna wait until they make it right. It's the exact opposite of what our Lord says to do. When you have wronged someone, you go make it right. When someone has wronged you, you go, you go start and initiate the conversation. It's the exact opposite. In both, in both cases, it's our responsibility to seek reconciliation. Not necessarily to reconcile, because that takes two parties. But Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So as far as it depends on me, I can't do anything about what this person's going to do. All I can do is what's here. This is so important to the life of, uh, of the church that this is the one specific place where Jesus explicitly talks about what's supposed to happen in the church. Do you realize that? In all of the Gospels, it's the one place where Jesus talks about this is how what's supposed to happen in the church. If that's the case, we should really pay attention to what he has to say. 
It's, it's not that the other things in the Gospels are irrelevant to the church. It's just the one place where Jesus is like, hey, this is going to be a thing. So you got to pay attention to this in the family of God. It's the one place where we have explicit instructions about what community is supposed to look like. So we probably should pay attention. So Jesus would say, don't waste any time trying to repair fractured relationships. Don't waste any time. When, when you're holding an offense against someone, go and make it right. Don't waste time. Go to that person and try to make it right. This might be the most disobeyed teaching of Jesus in the evangelical church. Because we all find all kinds of reasons why this doesn't apply to me. I love you. We're going to be friends at the end of this, I promise. I'm only, I'm, only, I'm only harping on this because it's important to the heart of God. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming at this from a condemnation kind of place. This is right, at, right here for me too. We all find reasons why this scripture doesn't apply to us, why I don't need to go seek out forgiveness for my brother and sister because I've been wrong or because I've been offended or because they might not receive it or whatever it might be. But Jesus couldn't be more clear. Like there's, not a, like, there's not like a question mark about how to interpret this passage, even though Jesus gives us a parable to help us interpret it, right? Here's how you should work this thing out. It's a, it's a systematic approach to how to work through reconciliation. It's the way that we're proactive in caring for one another as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that we refuse to walk an offense. And as far as it depends on me, I'm going to keep trying to do my best to make sure my brother or sister doesn't walk an offense too. Because it's not just about me. And so Jesus says that we should do three things. When there's a person and they have sinned against us, the very first thing I should do is go in directly to that person and have a conversation. I should go directly to that person and have a conversation to apologize, to figure out what's going on, to find out, okay, what's, what's happening here between us, that, to try to discern. Now, there are some exceptions, but there aren't many. The exceptions that you might do something different than this is when there's been physical or clear emotional abuse. That, that might be an exception to this rule. We don't go directly to a person who has harmed us in some physical or really, really harmful emotional abuse. That's not a, it's not a safe situation. So, we, so we, that's, that's a little bit of a different scenario. There are also times where situations are, are, so, um, are so confusing and you just can't untangle the knot that sometimes you might want to seek godly counsel. And here's what I would say about that. There are very few times where there's actually needed like most of the time, what's really needed for us to spend a little bit more time praying and seeking God's heart about the situation. We're too quick to go seek counsel when what we really want is someone to affirm our side. Come on, guys, you know it's true. <laughs> like we want someone to think like we think about it, right? And so we go. So if you feel like you need godly counsel before you go and, and make a, 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 this kind of like, um, hey, this, this happened and, and I want to figure out what's going on. I, I want you to know that I'm carrying some offense. I would encourage you to deeply pray about that. Actually, I would encourage you to do that before you even go to that person at all. Because there have been many, many times in my life where I've been offended or frustrated. I felt hurt by someone. And the more I prayed about it, the more I realized it's my issue and not their issue. Right? And if I just go to somebody every time I have something that's wrong with me without going to Jesus about it first, that, that's not very helpful, right? 
So I want to go to the Lord first and say, God, this has happened, and, it's, and there's something hurtful and painful here, and, and I'm not sure what to do with it. Would you help me understand it? And if I have really genuinely am like, I don't know how to do it, then don't go to your best buddy. You come to seek wise counsel from some person, an elder in our church, from me, from a therapist who might be completely objective outside of the conversation. We have like 10 therapists in our church. Like, we've got a lot of people that you can lean into this, although don't go to people in our church. Go to someone outside of our church if this is an issue for you. Go directly to the person to try to make it right. Just by the way, I'm setting this up so no one's disappointed. If you come to me or you come to our leaders, we all should be saying to you, like if you say, hey, I've got a problem with so-and-so, all of us, every single one of us should be saying, okay, before you say anything else, let me ask you, are you ready to go and talk to that person? Because if not, let's pause this conversation until you are, right? Because when we, when we don't do that, what we end up is like, well, this person knows this about this person and this person knows this, and all of a sudden, we just end up with a mess on our hands. And so you know, because I've had many of conversations with many of you through the years, that this is how we deal with stuff. If you, if you say, I'm trying to sort this out, we're going to hold, pause. Are you ready to go and talk to that person? Because if not, let's wait until you're ready. And then, and then I'll help you think through it. And then maybe. All right? We good? All right. So the second thing that we do. So if a person, you go directly to that person. If that, if that doesn't work, then you find a neutral party to come with you. That's where you would bring a leader or someone with, with wise, godly counsel to come alongside you and say, here, here's what we're going to do. And, and, and so, and that should hopefully be a point of reconciliation. The goal of this is forgiveness and reconciliation. The goal isn't to point out the wrongdoing of another person just to say you've done something wrong. The goal in the kingdom of God is to be reconciled to one another. That's the goal of all this. So we go and we find a neutral party that come alongside us and help us work through the situation. And then if that doesn't work, then it goes public. Then we go before the church and we say, okay, how do we deal with this issue? We've done everything we could to reconcile this, to fix this, so how do we do it? And by the way, when Jesus says this thing about the church, he doesn't have in, in mind an environment like this, where we pull someone up on stage and they're like, when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about a gathered group of people in a home because that's what the early church was. It was groups, extended family members who were in homes together. And so he's saying, this is a family issue. So you're going to have to deal with this like a family. Have you ever been, like, around where there's, like, one person in the family? i got to be careful because my family's here today. So <laughs> this is not, not, not you guys, my other family. And everyone knows there's a problem and no one's talking about it, right? Like, this is not okay. Because what happens is that spirit of offense festers into just the two of you, and then it festers and spills out into the rest of the family. So Jesus, that's why Jesus is saying, this is how we do it. If that doesn't happen, well, then guess what? Then, then this person is like having a hard time fitting into this family. That's why, it's, that's why he says the next thing, well, t- treat them differently. Again, exceptions are abuses. Exceptions are where there maybe is major real confusion. Again, seek godly counsel about that. But here's the deal. Most of us do this in reverse, and the world certainly does this in, verse, in reverse. Think about how many videos you've seen on Facebook or heard over the last couple of years where someone's done something wrong, and what happens? Facebook Live is following someone around, right? It's the exact opposite, right? We go public first, right, rather than go to the person first. Jesus, I don't know how else to say it, guys. We're supposed to be counterculture, 
We're not supposed to look like the world. Everything that we do should make people go, why do they do it that way? It should, we're supposed to be a curious people. To say, those people have no business being reconciled. Have you ever seen uh, in a court case where, where someone, we, we played a video of this a few years ago, where, where someone who, uh, their family member had been really harmed. I can't remember if they had been killed or what. And the person's offering, the, uh, one of the victims was offering forgiveness from the witness stands to the, to the person who was the perpetrator. Now, mind you, there was a long process to get them from point A to point B. So I'm not saying that all of us should get there really quickly, but I'm saying that is curious to the world, right? Our God hung on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's like a super high bar. I just want to live a little bit of that out. A little bit of that out. That's not the culture of the kingdom of God to walk in offense. The culture of the kingdom is a posture of forgiveness where we recognize our debt has been paid and so we're quick to forgive and release others of their debts. Let me just say this. I understand that the practice of forgiveness is really, really hard and very complex. It's deeply emotional. It's often have to work through all different kinds of stuff. And there is a lot that we could say about how to do forgiveness, but that is not the message that I'm trying to preach today. This is not a how-to message. This is not a how do you practice forgiveness. This is about how do you have the adopted posture of forgiveness. How do we just be aware of whether we're walking around with offense or whether we're walking around ready to forgive other people? How do, we, how do we even think this in the first place? So the point of this is not necessarily to say, okay, now everybody go and figure out who you need to forgive and go do all those things. Maybe that's what comes out of this. But I think more what should come out of this is, is us being aware of what is going on in my heart. What is the climate of my heart? Is the climate of my heart offense or forgiveness? Is, are our hearts tender towards other people? Are we quick to forgive or are we quick to be offended? Forgiven people and people who know they're forgiven, forgive people. Freed people and people who know that they're free, free people. Healed people, heal people. Hurt people, hurt people. Broken people, break people. Offended people, offend people. We should be the first part of that rather than the last part, where we're walking around forgiven and freed, ready to be a part of the healing of the nations, ready to be a part of the healing and reconciliation in our neighborhood, ready to be a witness to every time that we offer forgiveness to someone, it's a witness to what Jesus has done for us. And so when Jesus is our king, and he brings his culture, we've got to be aware of whether or not the culture of our heart, the climate of our heart, is the same as his. And so what does the kingdom of God do in this area? It brings and it it exposes our values. If the kingdom of God is really invading yours and my heart, then living with that spirit of offense, living in that posture of offense, should feel very uncomfortable to us. You know what I mean? Like that, it it shouldn't feel right. The most natural thing in the world for us should be working towards forgiveness, even if it is hard, since it is the very foundation of the kingdom. Your entrance into the kingdom is based off of your forgiveness. It's based off of my forgiveness. 
And so it really should expose whether or not we're seeking to be right. One place, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, why not just be wrong? I can't tell you how many times I've had to go to that scripture. All right, fine. It's like, why are we arguing about this? Why not just be wrong? Like, do you care more about being right? Or do you care more about loving your brother or sister? Do you care more about the forgiveness that God's trying to rot in their heart or winning an argument? Again, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. (laughs) This is a me thing too. Because here's the deal, that that we need to have these values exposed so that it can overcome the evil. The the reality is we're walking in a fence instead of forgiveness, that there's actually this uh, uh, something going on inside of us that's actually toxic to us, that keeps us from receiving God's grace, that keeps us from giving God's grace to other people. And actually, it's contributing to the brokenness in our lives, and then we contribute to the brokenness of the world. And actually, there's a few places where it's pretty clear that this forgiveness thing is actually an issue to our prayers. Where Jesus says, look, if if you're praying or you're worshiping, and you've got unforgiveness in your heart towards you, you recognize there's something going on, then you've got to go work it out first, and then we can talk about the thing that you're praying about. As a matter of fact, Peter talks about this, husbands and wives, and 1 Peter says, look, there's this issue between you and your wife. Go make it right, and then come back and pray, and maybe God will hear your prayers. Ouch. I'm just stirring the pot big time, guys. But the reality is that God wants to bring freedom. That's what the kingdom wants. Like, the kingdom of God wants to come and bring a culture, and he wants us to, he wants us to be free of the enormous burden of offense. He wants us to be free of that. He wants us to walk free of that. He wants us to live an authentic relationship with one another where we're known and where we see other people. And that's not, that's not part of the climate of our heart. He wants us to walk in freedom. I'm going to be honest. This isn't the message I wanted to preach today. But I really felt like this is what God wanted to say to us. And I don't know exactly why. I really feel like there's a a level of authenticity he's asking us to go to as a church family that we can't go to unless we deal with this kind of stuff. Rob, why don't you come? Again, I want to reiterate something. The wounds that have happened to us often run deep and are often hard to uproot, but nothing is impossible for our God. And so right now I'm setting the bar really high of what's possible, even if you feel like it's not possible right now. And our commitment to you as a church family is we will work through it with you. You don't have to do this on your own. We'll journey together and a journey towards becoming a person who is walking, say, I've, I've, I feel like I've, I've forgiven my, the people who I'm indebted, or that are indebted to me, and I feel like I've made things right where I've made things wrong. We're committed to working with you, but more committed than we ever will be will be Jesus walking alongside of you.
Forgiveness doesn't mean ignoring what has happened to us. It doesn't mean dismissing the injustices that have been done to us. It doesn't mean being a doormat. It just means that we're working it out in our hearts and with other person so that we're not walking, holding another person in debt. It means that we're making sure that we're aware of the ways that we've harmed other people and that we don't want to be in someone else's debt. There's a, a common misconception in forgiveness that, that you just make sure it's just okay. You just dismiss it. That is not forgiveness. It's not what it's about. There's a work that has to be done in our hearts to get us into that posture. A couple years ago, Mark Ritchie shared a message on forgiveness. Talked about that uh, in some different ways. One of the people who, and I got permission to share this, uh, one of the people who who was in the room that night was Andy Callen. And Andy came up for prayer afterwards and he and Mark prayed and he said, man, I've just been harboring this unforgiveness towards my dad. And tonight as you were preaching, I felt like this is something I just needed to go and do, I don't know how. And so he and Mark prayed. And then shortly after he went and had some really challenging conversations with his dad, but really good conversations with his dad. And then shortly after his dad passed away. the power of our God. And Andy would say, I'm thankful that I'm not carrying around the burden of not having that conversation with my dad. The truth was that God worked in Andy's heart to get him ready to do that. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to put a heavy yoke on you that you're not ready to bear right now. But I do want to ask you, what will it take for your heart to be prepared to do something? How can you start a journey right now of adopting a posture of forgiveness? Maybe there are people that you've wronged in our church or in your family or in your neighborhood. You feel like, I think I need to go and make this right. I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes and I'm just gonna pray for you. And I want you to invite right now just just to adopt a posture of humility. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Somebody's got like a tightness in their chest right now. This is the Holy Spirit, come right now. you're feeling stuck in any of the areas that I've talked about tonight, I want you to ask for help right now to get unstuck. 
might just simply sound like, God, I'm having a really, really hard time forgiving that person. And I need your help. Maybe you're feeling like, God, I, I really need to have a conversation with that person and I'm really, really scared. Just confess that right now. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Lord, let us live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us. Some of you right now, this is like just drumming up old wounds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will heal those wounds right now in an instant. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. And bring peace. Bring healing. Water to dry land. Let there be a flourishing garden where there was a desert. Let there be a flourishing garden where there was a desert. Let there be fruit where the tree was barren. Let there be life where there was death. Let there be hope where there was no hope. Let there be healing Let there be joy. Let there be rejoicing. Break off the heavy yoke, Jesus. Break off the bondage right now, in Jesus' name. Let today be the start of a new day. Let there be a process of healing and hope and forgiveness and joy. In Jesus' name. I feel like that, that picture that I had in, in my mind earlier, I had a, I had a picture of a, of a seed that was planted that looked like nothing. And that seed took root and it grew and it grew and it grew and it brought healing. 
That was earlier in, today, earlier in the day today. I feel like a seed has been planted in some of you today that is gonna bring life in ways that you didn't know it could. Just pastoral moment here. There's a difference between conviction and shame. Shame is a feeling that makes us feel like something is wrong with us and makes us want to hide from God. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, which recognizes there are things in, that, are, that we've done wrong, but it leads us to a relationship with Jesus and to seek forgiveness and seek the forgiveness of other people. I want you to make sure that you're distinguishing today between shame and conviction. Don't despise conviction because it's for your healing. It's for your good. It's for the good of the community. So don't shrug off that. Wear that. Let it take you into intimacy with God. If you're leaving and you feel a little bit, I'll feel a little bit heavy tonight, maybe that's from the Lord. And if it is, go home, close the door and have a conversation with the Lord tonight about whatever that is. Or come and seek prayer tonight before you go. Don't, don't, don't leave and, and do that alone. If you're feeling shame, that's a different thing. And let's pray that stuff off. If it's causing you to leave away from God and to retract from community, that's not the voice of God. The voice of God leads us further into intimacy with him and further into intimacy with other people. Got it? All right? So if you're feeling heaviness, make sure you're distinguishing between the, between the two. But don't assume just because it's heavy, it's a bad thing. Make sense? And if there's anything that you feel like, hey, I'm really confused. We don't want you to be confused. We want to walk with you and journey with you through this. So come and talk to me. Let's, let's work this stuff out. Let's pray with you through this. Let's help you get to a place where there's healing. Because guess what? I want every prayer I pray to be answered. I don't know about you. I want to live with a lightness and a freedom that comes in Christ. That's mine. I don't want to leave it on the table. I want you to have the experience that too. And I want us to live in community with that sense of freedom and joy in our lives. I want us to live face-to-face in authentic relationship. And we, we can only do that if we press into this stuff. Okay? Love you. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss. And you're free to go if you want to go. Um, and we ask you, either way, we're going we're gonna to take, take a little break. Uh, if you've got kids and kid, kids ministry, we want you to go quickly and get them and make sure that you know where they are. And then we're going to reconvene in just a minute to pray over Brian and Bree. James chapter 5. I'm just going to read this so you know in case you go. This is why we're doing this. It says this. If anyone is in trouble, let them pray. If anyone's happy, let them sing songs of praise. If anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, just in case you're wondering whether my message was off base, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
So we're gonna do, we're gonna enact a biblical command. Our, our leaders and elders are gonna anoint Brian and Bree with oil. We're gonna pray for them for healing and continuing that process. And then afterwards, we're gonna go downstairs for a baptism. So if you need to go, you're free to go. Go grab your kids and then come back quickly so that we can pray, okay? All right.